Welcome to the Euro 2020 Sportscast of Ideas. I'm Jeff Kidder, Membership and Events Director at the Academy of Ideas. And I, this week I'm joined by my colleagues, Rob Lyons and Alistair Donald. And our special guest this week is Adam Rawcliffe. Welcome to Adam, Partnership Manager at The Spectator and Debating Matters School Debating Legend. So we're <laughs> delighted to have Adam with us and delighted to have Rob and Alistair back uh, to discuss the, the last week's events and what we're looking forward to for the rest of the tournament. I suppose the first thing to uh, kick off with is the uh, the matches last night involving Scotland and England, and particularly Scotland bidding farewell to the tournament uh, at the qualifying round. So it was great that they qualified, but they've fallen at the first hurdle. So Alistair, what are your reflections on, uh, on Scotland at Euro 2020? I thought you might come to me first. I'm gutted, actually, to be quite honest. Uh, really disappointed with the game last night. I think to look at it in context, I thought the Czech Republic game to start with, Scotland, you know, they didn't do that well, but it was a game of fairly narrow margins. I, I would put it down to a couple of brilliant goals by the Czech striker rather than blaming the Scots for their, their mistakes. But to come out of that and then go to Wembley and put in a good performance... I thought they dominated the midfield at Wembley, a young 20-year-old first-time starter, you know, star of the show in the midfield. I thought the defence did really well. I mean, there's been endless talk of how Harry Kane was uh, a bit of a non-entity in that game, but I thought they equally they blocked out Foden and, and Sterling. Um, and even Grealish, the People's Republic of Grealish, as I saw him referred to the other day, I thought he was fairly anonymous when he came on as well. So I thought they did well in that game, albeit with the, the familiar Scottish problem of not being able to put the, the ball in the net. So to come uh, to the Croatia game last night, I, I thought had a real opportunity. Croatia haven't done that well, but really in many ways they just didn't turn up last night, I thought. And it's been slightly rewritten actually as, as the, the Czechs have gone in the space of a week from ageing team to now technical masters again. But I think that really glosses over the fact that Scotland really missed an opportunity, both Individual errors. I mean, the first goal for Croatia was a mishmash of errors uh, in the in the Scottish defence. But also, I, I think just the whole team didn't really perform. And I think the manager. I mean, I like Steve Clark, but I, I thought that he didn't set the team up properly. They had a good first ten minutes, but then Croatia really took control. I mean, Scotland did equalise very much against the run of play, but it was very clear from fairly early on that Scotland couldn't get to grips with, with the game. They played five at the back, which usually uh, uh, translates to wing-backs really pushing up, but that didn't really happen. The ball just lumped up to the forwards and came straight back again. So I, I thought that he really should have changed it round at half-time, put a bit more pressure on Croatia, got a bit of more of the ball, because the team were knackered in the second half, and it was no surprise when they conceded the second and third goals. So gutted, a really missed opportunity, I think. Adam, what do you think about Scotland or what do you think maybe England last couple of performances? Yeah, so Scotland, I think just broadly, they've been a really good addition to the tournament. Uh, I know there's a lot of complaints about the sort of expanded format uh, and the fact that a few of the minnows might just get 
hammered uh, and were completely out of place. Uh, Scotland would have been one of those teams sort of based on world ranking. Uh, but I think they've really put, uh, made a good account of themselves, to be honest. Uh, I think the fans have brought a lot to the tournament as well. I uh, actually went down to Leicester Square before the England game uh, to, <laughs> to sort of have a sing-song with some of the Scottish fans. Uh, and largely very well behaved. So some things you probably wouldn't want to see on, uh, <laughs> we wouldn't want to talk about on the podcast, but uh, largely very good spirited, uh, nothing too, like, anim- no, not too much animosity, etc. Uh, so yeah, I think they really brought a lot to the tournament. Again, like sort of say, shame that they didn't sort of have the end product to actually uh, properly compete in a few of those games. I think it's weird that Shea Adams didn't start against the Czechs because uh, they did have chances and maybe he would have finished one of those. Uh, I don't think Lyndon Dykes uh, is really up to playing on this sort of stage. I don't think he was really good enough. Uh, England, it's same old, same old, isn't it? The first, start of the first half, it looked really bright, looked like, oh, maybe they are actually are a team who might be able to compete with uh, one of the big boys, but then it all sort of dried up again really no creativity. I think it's all no shots in the second half, uh, which isn't really <laughs> good enough if you kind of want to go on and win the tournament, uh, especially with who they're going to be playing in the next round. Uh, so just a bit of a shame. Uh, I think Southgate's selection continues to be a bit weird. Grealish clearly makes an impact when he plays. I don't know why he's not really one of the first names on the team sheet. Uh, and I think in these sort of international tournaments, you need players who are going to give it a bit of a go. Uh, I think when you see like players like Mount, Sterling, uh, etc., some of the players who play for the bigger teams who play in set systems, uh, they seem like they're trying to do uh, the sort of low-risk football, which they do for their clubs for England. And I think in an international tournament, you kind of need players who kind of get their head down and go at the other team. Uh, teams are a lot less organised, there's a lot more mistakes. Uh, so, yeah, so I think you kind of need to... Southgate kind of needs to encourage them to play a bit more. Uh, they've got the talent. Uh, yeah, just need to actually have a go and be a bit less boring, I guess. Rob, do you want to follow on from that on Scotland, England, and, and maybe Wales, who seem to be almost the seem to be the most accomplished of the of the UK teams? Rob. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, Wales seem to be playing with a bit of. Um, as you say, a bit more courage and uh, and, and maximising the players that they've got. I mean, they do have two very good attacking players and the rest of the team seems to be uh, doing well around them. And they, yeah, they give a good um, account of themselves against Italy. And actually, if Bale hadn't snatched at that chance towards the end, I think they could easily have got a draw out of that game. All right, admittedly against a much-changed Italian team. But still, I mean, that... The fact that they uh, gave a good account of themselves in that game, I think, was a sign that they are a, a decent outfit. I mean, I don't think they're going to go as far as they did in 2016, but 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 they they're certainly the the most sort of optimistic of the of the three uh, home nations. Um, I'm not as down on Scotland's performance as Alistair is. I mean, I think they they still were in with a shout for for over an hour. I think of that game last night um, because they just needed the the one goal. Um, to go through at that point. Once Modric scored, I just didn't see England, uh, Scotland managing to score two. And that is, I think, fundamentally is their biggest problem is that they just haven't got anybody to score, goal, to go, to score goals. I mean, Shea Adams and 
Lyndon Dykes. I mean, I, I didn't know anything about Lyndon Dykes. I just watched a YouTube video of all his goals in the, in the championship for QPR last season, and they were all penalties or tap-ins apart from like one or two. So if, if you can't do that much damage in the championship, then you're probably not really an international quality player. Um, so that's their problem. And they haven't got like a, a great attacking midfielder or something that they could like um, sort of repurpose um, as, as they might have done in the past. So, that, that, you know, Clark is working with limited resources there. and They've done very well to get through to uh, this championship. And there, there were opportunities for them maybe to have, have progressed. Um, but, you know, uh, they, they certainly haven't disgraced themselves, in my opinion. Um and I think Croatia probably did build into that game. I think Croatia might actually do better than people are expecting at the moment because they do have, if not the youngest team by any stretch of their imagination, they still do have quite a lot of quality. England's a constant source of frustration, so precautionary. They've got so much talent. They should be just throwing the kitchen sink at teams a bit more. Maybe they'll they'll come into their own once they start playing against better teams, actually, because then there won't be the expectation to turn teams over and, and and so on. And they might do better if they went down by a goal, because then they actually have to show a bit of um, more progressive play. So they're they're still a source of frustration, and um, I'm not a huge fan of Southgate as a manager, but we shall see once they actually start coming up against quality teams. At the moment, I would have to say they're going out in the last 16. I thought it was interesting that Bukaya Saka came in and did quite well last night. And, and and it does seem to me that England bring in these young people and they do quite well for a spell. And then they kind of fade a little bit, which doesn't say much for Southgate as a manager, I think, because he, 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 he kind of almost seems to weigh them down rather than freeing them up as they develop their international careers. On Scotland, that. that I, I didn't mean to be so harsh as as maybe Rob implies, but I, I do think there's a story going around that the captain, Andy Robertson, gave all the players and all the staff uh, these £900 gift boxes as a mark of them getting to the, to the Euro finals, which uh, had these uh, special bottles of whiskey and beer and stuff like that to mark the occasion. And if I was to adopt a kind of Roy Keane stance, then perhaps it's a mark of being very happy to get there and you know could have been a little bit more focused on what I think was a real opportunity to for the first time ever for Scotland to get through uh, the first round and and they just didn't quite live up to that and that's a bit of a frustration because I, I, I think they could have done it and last night they just didn't adapt to specific circumstances of the game. Okay so that's some of the things that have happened on the pitch uh, just for a few minutes look at what's happened off the pitch in the last week I know Alistair was very exercised about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and his uh, Coke bottles um, and uh, UEFA have just announced or, or the British government and the UEFA have announced that the uh, big wigs and the uh, VIPs are going to be able to bypass all the um, all the quarantine regulations uh, in England to go to the watch the semi-finals and the finals at Wembley and that's a condition of things happening here whereas mere mortals have to have 10 days quarantine, quarantine in a hotel with the uh, uh, slices of apple to eat if we're lucky. So what's captured your uh, uh, your imagination or, or things you've noticed over the last week? The decision to up the capacity at Wembley to 60,000 is, is a good one and should, should be welcomed. But the compromise that they've made to let all these VIPs in without quarantines 
that everybody else has to face is, is just revealing of the farcical situation in terms of the broader sense of the way that we're handling COVID, where people seem to make up these rules and regulations that, that have no consistency, really, as, as uh, evident in the uh, situation where um, the two England players, Mount and Chilwell, have to isolate, self-isolate for a week, having been in contact with Billy Gilmore, the Scottish midfield player, for a few minutes, uh, whereas the, the Scottish team seem to have uh, got away with not self-isolating. So there just seems to be very little consistency, and I just think that puts uh, into very clear focus the way that these things are dealt with, where uh, there does seem to be one rule for some people and another rule for another, whether that be different teams or, more pertinently in this situation, the public who seem to face all the regulations, whereas VIPs waltz through in, in a kind of relatively unrestricted way. Adam? Yeah, yeah, I completely echo all that. It's, it's just ludicrous, isn't it? It's just beyond ludicrous. One, the fact that the government have been so cautious about fans at these games when clearly, if you're double vaccinated, you're outside, it's probably going to be okay. And as other examples, see what's happened in America now, like almost completely back to normal, full stadiums for sports. Seems a bit stupid that we are where we are. They've completely made a problem which they could have avoided. On the Cristiano Ronaldo thing, I think it's been quite funny. I think it's quite a funny thing for him to do. It kind of obviously is a massive hypocrite because the amount of endorsements he has for companies which are slightly questionable. But as someone who doesn't take Cristiano Ronaldo as their moral arbiter on everything, I think it has showed like how much sway he has. He's not even been punished for just deliberately taking a shot at one of the sort of UEFA's biggest partners and also tanking their share price for a bit. So having a real like world effect, it was funny. And then you saw sort of like the Russian manager then come back and start drinking one. Bit of the back and forth was quite a uh, good value, I think. And if I was Coca-Cola, I would have taken it with a straight face and sort of said, rather than all the sort of corporate speak which emerges around People can make their own drink choices. We encourage everyone to be healthy, just sort of have a laugh with it. But yeah, I don't think there's anything too much to get stuck in about. I just thought it was quite, quite funny that he did that. Yeah, I just wonder, as a partnerships manager, I, mm. I, I mean, if he doesn't, obviously there's a point about his other brands, but if he doesn't like Coke and he probably does drink water, he probably doesn't like Coke and he probably does drink water, you know, what I couldn't see what the, what, one, what he'd done wrong on that occasion, if, if that's what he thought. And and was it so much of a big deal? I mean, the Russian guy, the, the Russian manager doing that thing was quite a, 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 a funny thing. But, I, you know, if you're a partnerships manager, is that, is that sort of thing that you're going to pull your hair out over? Or do you just need to, as you just said, chill a bit? Well, yeah, it's the sort of thing which people would get into a massive panic about. Uh, but everyone seems to over-worry about every little thing. I think the relationship between UEFA and Coke has been going on for, I don't know how long, but for a long, long time. I don't think this is going to be sort of uh, the thing which breaks it. Uh, I think it's weird. There's a weird sort of... I think if you kind of look at the GB News sort of advertising scandal, where people in the sort of holier than now moral ground of Twitter expect companies who work together to be completely aligned on sort of every single aspect of both business but 
ethic, like ethics as well. Yeah, I, I think I would take it with a mash, massive pinch of salt. Some of the people we work with here, uh, you might not expect us to work with, but we don't completely align on everything. I think, yeah, there's some of the best partnerships with companies who are slightly different because you bring different things to the table. Uh, so yeah, uh, I wouldn't get my knickers in a twist about it, but yeah, I no doubt there's partnership managers at UEFA sort of up all night on the phones going a bit mad. Whereas I think the sort of thing to do with this is to just give it 24 hours and it'll sort of blow over. Obviously the other thing in the news people could mention is the Allianz Arena trying to light itself up in rainbow as a statement around a re recent law passed in Hungary, which people might want to comment on too. But anyway, Rob. Uh, well, just on, on, on the, the Coke stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, people have been talking about Coke for three days or something. No news is bad news. I always think that actually, I mean, the amount of money that Coke and other people pay for these partnerships, they're probably getting a bit mugged anyway on, on it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to... I mean, the drop in the share price seemed to be a bit ridiculous um, from what I could see. It was quite small, but still, I mean, why the investors would panic about that, I have no idea, really. More interestingly, the, the COVID stuff, I mean, as it, as it happens, I mean, the particular decision, there still seems to be negotiations about it. It's just basically that these various officials and hangers-on and partners and whatever will be kind of in a tunnel. You can go from the airport to the hotel, from the hotel to the stadium, and then back to the hotel and then back to the airport, and that's all you can do. I mean, it's pretty uncontroversial in, in terms of the risk of COVID transmission or whatever, but it just does highlight the fact that these uh, the travel rules that we're facing at the moment in a country where the vast majority of adults now have had at least one dose of vaccine and getting on for 60% of, of adults are fully vaccinated, in particular all the most vulnerable people, and yet we are still not able to travel freely. And in fact, actually, the, the things have gone the other way now, where it's countries stopping us from travelling to them rather than as much as our government stopping us um, from going abroad easily. Um, you know, so, for example, Italy's introduced quarantine for British people, so is Ireland. So there, the, the, the difficulties are going the other way very much. I mean, I mean, I don't have much to say about the Allianz Arena. Alistair, tell us why it exercises you so much. First of all, just to go back to the, the Coke thing, because I, I was a bit irritated by it, to be honest, uh, Ronaldo and, 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 and Pogba. I mean, it's it just seems indicative of the way that football has become this arena, which everybody's uh, encouraged to be role models and to put on display their kind of moral uh, values. And, and obviously, Ronaldo did that by sh shifting the Coke out of the way. And I just thought it was a bit kind of irritating. Pogba then added to it with his moving the uh, Heineken bottles out of the way, even though they were non-alcohol, which was a bit daft. I thought it was punctured quite well, actually, by uh, Yarmolenko, the Ukraine forward, who kind of put them back into into focus and said, contact me, Heineken and, and Coke. I mean, in, in a way, that was kind of way to deal with these big egos. On the Allianz thing, I, I, I again, it kind of fits in uh, with the way that football and, and, and I suppose sport more generally now is becoming the arena where all these arguments about values, where the culture wars becomes played out. And I think in, in, in this particular instance, it's, it's interesting because what the, the, I mean, the culture wars started in America, but it really does seem to have become something that dominates global discussion. 
Sport seems to be the arena that it's played out in now, because whereas before it might have been universities or cultural institutions with a, a certain audience and a certain tier of participants who want to pursue those sorts of values, sport seems to have a global audience, including a lot of people who officials and and people with political viewpoints want to target and, and almost to say, well, this is the way that you should think and this is the way that you be, you should behave. So I think the, the Alliance thing is, is quite significant. This is no longer just EU bureaucrats preaching to Hungary as to how their, their internal ways of life should work, but it's now people in, you know, the, the mayor of Munich and, and, and various different towns throughout Germany who seem to be wanting to light up their stadiums tonight in support of, of, of the Munich mayor. So I think it's a very unwelcoming uh, situation for hungry fans to come into as well. It will have little to do with the decisions that have been taken, yet a festival of sport is now uh, a way to ostracise them. So I, I think it's it's significant and it's, it's uh, an appalling situation that somehow degrades the game. Okay, so in the next week, what are people looking forward to? We've got the last round... Uh, the last round of matches coming up in the group stages. So we're not sure at this moment uh, who everybody will be playing, but we already know Wales are playing at the weekend in the Netherlands uh, and they're not allowed to have any fans because of the COVID regulations there. Uh, England will be playing next Tuesday. We're not sure who, but it will be uh, a strong team probably from uh, from Group F, known as Group of Death. Um, and I think listeners also might be interested to hear how Alistair's getting on in the... Uh, Academy of Ideas office sweepstake as well. So uh, uh, any comments on that would be would be welcome too of what, what you're looking forward to in the week ahead. Yeah, so uh, tonight, big game, obviously, uh, France versus Portugal. Uh, France, I, I think, have been quite similar to England uh, in terms of being a bit boring, lacking ideas. Uh, they'd have created, I think, quite a few more chances. I think, yeah, that matchup, England's in the round, Round of 16 uh, will be one of the real highlights as well. I think they want to, after watching Germany against Portugal, they might want to avoid the Germans because they look like they've figured it out again. Uh, I think broadly the tournament's been really good. I really enjoyed the group stages. I've kind of got a bit bored of sort of elite club level football because it all seems too organised, too prescribed. Uh, like systems going against each other rather than letting sort of individual talent uh, and brilliance flourish. But then I think this, uh, this tournament's been a real sort of refresher and felt a lot more like old school football where things are a bit open, weird things happen all the time, loads of mistakes, but then moments of brilliance as well. Uh, so yeah, so really excited uh, to watch the knockouts. Uh, I think it's pretty open. I don't think there's a firm favourite. I would probably, if I was to put all my money on someone, it would be one of those teams from the group of death. Uh, maybe France to sort of bore their way to another sort of trophy. Uh, or maybe the Germans really sort of play it together and play some free-flowing attacking football. But yeah, could go to anyone. And I think that's uh, the best sort of international tournament where you can't call it. Now, that, that German performance the other day against Portugal, people who saw that, that really did stand out as a proper defence. I mean, obviously they conceded a couple of goals, but really strong performance over 90 minutes against a, a decent side. 
didn't quite blow them away, but almost blew the, blew away Portugal. So that was really impressive. Rob? One thing we haven't had so far is a big scalp, and Spain are still got work to do to, to get out of their group. So um, that could be quite entertaining. But otherwise, I think, I mean, in general, it's shaping up pretty much as you would expect. Great work by Denmark to get out of that that group after everything that happened. It showed great spirit. Italy still look the most impressive team to me. I think they, they put in three good performances, but have they really faced anybody very good? Whereas, obviously, in the group of death, that's it's all been about high-quality opposition. So... We shall see. I mean, the Portuguese might say, well, we scored as many goals as the Germans did in that game. So uh, if that shot hadn't come off the post late on, which would have made it 4-3, it could have been a grandstand finish. So, um, uh, but anyway, it's a very good game against uh, and two very good teams. And I'm sure that both of them will end up going quite deep in the tournament. Very much looking forward to kind of like the, the, the phony war is, is coming to an end. I mean, this group stage doesn't really get rid of very many teams and, and the real action is going to start with the round of 16. And um, in terms of who's going to win, I think, as, as Adam said, those, those teams in the group, group of death could all, all go through and all go deep. Italy, Netherlands have been a bit of a revelation after a few really bad years. They do look like they've got a team that can, you know, are, are quick and got goal scorers amongst them and... Yeah, so so there's there's a there's a few potential winners in there, none of whom are England, I'm afraid. <laughs> anyway, well, really looking forward to France Portugal, that which is uh, you know his, historically has been some some of the greatest games in the Euros actually been France Portugal that 1984 game where France won three two with the Platini Platini playing in, in midfield was a fantastic game as was the I think it was. Euro 2000s with uh, Zidane's penalty and in fact it was uh, the golden goal actually when they had that going on in all, all those years ago so that could be a, a really great game I kind of hope that Hungary do Germany in Munich which would be quite nice I think Wales-Denmark is, is, is a good game I think Denmark have come back really well from their opening game and, and played some really good football actually um, so I think it's shaping up to be uh, quite uh, in you know lots of really good teams in, in, in the quarterfinals potentially and, and, and a really good conclusion to the, the tournament. Okay, so uh, thanks very much. I, I think that's right. I think there's some good teams. It isn't clear who's top. I think Italy have probably been the most consistent, certainly in my book. That Germany performance really stood out. You know, there's a couple of my sweepstake teams, Wales and Sweden, who are still in there. So I hope for that. Have you got a sweepstake at work, uh, Adam? No, no, it's gutted. It reminded me of my... I, I was thinking that you guys would have been right on it uh, from my days in the office. Uh, so it's a bit gutted, but usually I pull really bad teams anyway. So might have might have had me rooting for North Macedonia this time. Well, I took your place, Adam, because I had <laughs> North Macedonia, Russia and Turkey, who were the first three teams to go out of the tournament. So... Uh, uh, Come back. <laughs> Come back and take the poor teams next year. <laughs> well, I'm very disappointed in Poland. They've been underperformed so far, so I'm just clinging on, hoping that one of France or Italy will come through for me. I think I've got oh. a very good draw of the sweep. Yeah, Rob's in the box seat there. Okay, well, thank you all very much, and we'll see what happens in the, in the, in the coming days. Mm-hmm.